0: Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast. I'm Arlo. I'm Kelly, and you're listening to Crazy Hexy Ghoul
1: podcast about everything from the peculiar, the curious, to the bizarre. So join us as we obsess over ghosties and shit.
0: Did you say ghosties and shit? Hell yeah, I did. Okay, you guys, shit's about to get real. Hi. Hey, you guys, welcome back for another episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, We really miss you guys. So we're just going to jump right into the episode. Uh, Since Kelly and I are both from Oklahoma, we decided we wanted to pay a little hometown homage to ghost stories, crime, anything strange that has happened in our state. We want to share it with you guys.
1: Yep. Anything weird, anything we find interesting.
0: Oklahoma is native land. So there's a lot of heavy stuff that happens here.
1: Yeah, it's not just like the native aspect, right? That's a part of all this, but, I think. Yeah. Yes,
0: true. The first story I want to talk about is it's going to be about UFOs. But okay. before we talk about it, I want to say these type of stories I feel like you have to take with a grain of salt because anything can be considered a UFO. The further you get Outside of the city, we've got a lot of country land here, farms and things like that. I think that's when people start to see those sightings. Yeah. I have several friends who swear up and down that they've seen UFOs, but I'm very skeptical when it comes to this. Okay. So you can either <laughs> understand it as true fact or err on the skeptical side like me. Let's hear it. So this reported story comes from an article that David Ferris wrote for the website edmundlifeandleisure.com. If you don't know, Edmond is a town or city in Oklahoma. It's very close to Oklahoma City, which is our state capital. You know, and I did skim this article. I just kind of wanted to touch base on on the UFO points. Um, So if you are interested in hearing the entire story, you can just go to the website. This takes place in October of 1989. Oklahoma experienced its second largest number of reported UFO sightings since the summer of 1965. Two weeks before the Sooner State sighting began, TASS, which stands for Telegraph Agency of the Soviet Union, the official Soviet news agency, announced that scientists had confirmed that an alien spaceship piloted by giant people with tiny heads had landed in Voronezh, which is a city 300 miles from Moscow. So, okay. Gosh. The event allegedly occurred on September 27th, but wasn't reported in the Daily Oklahoman until October 11th. Appearing in the same issue was an Associated Press story from Miami, Oklahoma, and the headline reading, Baffling Lights Cited. Local Commerce County Police Chief Bob Bain explains, We had received a call about 8.30 p.m. of a UFO around the Brunswick plant, and we thought it was a joke. When officers arrived on the scene, they saw what looked like lights that seemed to move in different directions. Chief Bain described the spectacle as four lights in a cluster led by a fifth light a shorter distance ahead.
1: Like a flock of UFOs.
0: Something like that. Okay. And here you have this police chief who's witnessed this with his own two eyes. Yeah. So it's hard to dismiss that, you know? Yeah. There were many sightings that night of what people explained to look like rotating lights in the sky. Larry Ruthie of the National Weather Service quoted saying, A check of the area reporting stations indicated no unusual atmospheric conditions that might explain the sightings. An oral display should have been seen visible over a large area than just Miami. And he said, frankly, I'm at a loss for what they're seeing. So there was no atmospheric conditions that would explain what was happening. And that was a direct quote from him. That's well said. (laughs) Fred Beeler, also of the National Weather Service, agreed, stating that he knew of no meteorological explanations for the sightings. Nailed it.
1: Yeah, you did. Well spoken. (laughs)
0: Wayne Weirich, director and staff astronomer of the Kirkpatrick Planetarium in Oklahoma City, was quoted as saying, a magnetic storm was sparking an unusually large oral display in the far north. He doubted the storm was caused because of the lights, but he added that he wouldn't rule it out completely. The Daily Oklahoman ran a series of articles updating the story until October 14th, so that's just three days after they released the first story. However, Local newspapers were not the only news organizations to take notice of the mysterious lights in the sky over Ottawa County. Headline News, a service of CNN News, broadcast a report encompassing the current worldwide UFO flap. That's what they call it, a flap, when it's a fluctuation of sightings and stuff like that. In this news broadcast, included in the piece were the Ottawa lights that had been videotaped by a local resident. Although the phenomenon was described as five colored lights, the videotapes showed them fused together as one. This story was also featured on the television news magazine, Hard Copy. If you're as old as I am, you know exactly what Hard Copy is. If you don't, look it up. Do you know what Hard Copy is?
1: No, not at all.
0: It was a TV show, but like a news magazine type of situation. According to one of the witnesses interviewed, north of our house, we saw a craft of some type. It was triangular in shape and it had three white lights and a red one in the middle. So that was like a interview from one of the witnesses. Okay. Weird. Yeah. So Chief Bain not only retold his story for hard copy, but was also featured in the recreation of the night. Like he played the part of himself oh. and uh, his assistant chief, a Miami police officer, responded to a flood of UFO reports to the police dispatch. Oh, Also featured in the story was footage of the lights, compliments of KSNF TV. Wow, that was a fucking mouthful. Sorry. Ottawa County played host to a nightly star watching party the week of the sighting. So they kind of played it up like, you know, as a thing, which it was, you know, to them. Television and newspaper reporters traveled to the area to see for themselves and to ask questions of local law enforcement officers and other witnesses. Most people chalked it up to typical teenage pranks, while others were true believers. So if you go back to witness statements, they all talk about the lights, but they all explain them differently, um, which like I feel like saw... happens quite a bit So, like,
1: when you're telling stories. Um, I feel like that's error of human memory, though. Right. I feel like exactly. something happened. Everyone saw something happen. Right. But the details are always lost. And everyone thinks they're right. Right. Because that's human memory is Mm -hmm. infallible. It just is.
0: Exactly. Yep. In an unrelated case 11 years earlier, a similar phenomenon was witnessed approximately 80 miles southwest of Miami. According to the July 1978 issue of the International UFO Reporter, Two 24-year-old witnesses were stargazing with the telescope five miles east of Tulsa, where they reported seeing four gray-white ovals in a fixed formation pass slightly in a straight line to the northeast, which is towards Miami. Each oval appeared to be about the size of the moon and flew at a 45-degree angle to the direction of travel.
1: Holy shit.
0: The ovals reportedly moved in a sword-like formation, with one in the lead and three to follow. This closely resembled the Miami lights, which were described as one light leading and four following. Uh, no other sites were reported at the local police, and nearby Tulsa International Airport reported nothing also. Huh. So that's the, the end of the, my story. That, Thoughts.
1: Okay, this whole time, the way you're explaining it, what if it's like some Air Force operation? Because yes. like we were talking about earlier,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's an Air Force base in Tulsa. Right. And there's an Air Force base in OKC Mm -hmm. right next to Edmond. Right. So it'd make a lot of sense. That's true. And they're kind of flying like they're in formation of some sort, like a military formation maybe. Maybe they're running drills or practicing new equipment.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to say that. It's easy to dismiss that because... (laughs) Yeah, why not? You know, and this yeah. this was back in the day when no one had really seen stuff like that. Yeah, no one. So what were was they really seeing? Fi-
1: right, and no one was able to film it. Right, were they actually mm-hmm. seeing something, or was there something else know. going on? You right? know, I mean, there's a lot of speculation, but we can't really. Yes. There's no definite for mm-hmm. sure. You know, yeah. You know, they didn't true. know.
0: Definitely <laughs> interesting that uh, more than a handful of people had reported this. That this happened. What are we seeing? I think it adds more mystery when no one's explaining what the hell it is. Yeah, or when no one
1: can explain. Right. So my first story is about the Tulsa Theater, formerly known
0: as the Brady Theater.
1: It was renamed a couple years ago, I think 2019. It was named after some rich dude in Tulsa named Tate Brady. And he was known to be affiliated with the KKK. And
0: we're not down with that.
1: Not a good guy. The Tulsa Theater is known to be... Pretty haunted, be one of the most haunted places in Tulsa. Opera singer named Enrico Caruso. Before his performance in Tulsa, he wanted to take in the sights that Tulsa had to offer. Unfortunately, nothing was going for him. He was sick, it was raining, and the universe decided to throw in a broken down car. Damn. Yep, so he wanted to go see, like, the oil sites and everything. As it turned out, when he made it back, he performed his last performance Mm -hmm. in Tulsa. He returned to Italy pretty promptly after and died in his death. Glad he died there and not here, shit. (laughs) Yeah, but people have been said to see him at the Tulsa Theater still. Caruso's manager even blamed Tulsa for his death, saying he wouldn't have died if he hadn't gone to Tulsa. But
0: he probably would have died had he stayed in Italy as well.
1: Possibly. That's a
0: little misguided anger.
1: I think so. (laughs) The Tulsa Theater also has a very tragic history with the Tulsa Race Massacre in 1921. Mm -hmm. It housed some of the victims and there are rumors that some died in the theater or other horrible things happened to others as well. I didn't really look into it too much. I feel like the whole Tulsa race massacre should be its own episode later on down the road.
0: And we will for sure cover that. Absolutely. Um, That's a huge part of Tulsa and Oklahoma history that needs to be talked about.
1: Absolutely. And it's not. People need to know. Yeah. I mean, growing up in Tulsa, I was never taught about it in school. It was just brushed over.
0: Same. Just barely skimming the top of of that tragedy. Uh, Kind of whitewashing it. Yeah. Okay,
1: I am going to talk about Tulsa's Hex House. Ooh, very hexy. <laughs> so, for anyone who's not from Tulsa or who doesn't really know, Hex House is a like a haunted attraction. What most people don't know, what I didn't until I really looked this up, was Hex House is inspired by an actual house in Tulsa. This whole story starts in 1944 by Carol Ann Smith, who was 51 at the time and was living in a stately ivy-covered duplex at 10 East 21st Street with two other people, Virginia Evans, who was 31 years old, and Willetta Horner, who was 30. They both claimed to be hexed into turning over every cent from their day jobs to her. The young woman told authorities they had been led to believe they would receive a great reward in heaven called the Big Payoff for serving Smith, who apparently had devised a religion of her own. Horner told police that Smith had starved her and beat her under the guise of religious purification. The investigation was started when Smith obtained eight World War II ration books for herself, the two young women, and several fictitious names for a daughter, Bonnie, that was actually her dog.
0: Okay, that's low-key psycho.
1: You know what her dog's name was? Bon Bon. Neighborhood children told Alice Allen, a teacher at Lee Elementary School, where ration books were issued, that there was no Bonnie, but that Smith had a dog named Bon Bon. (laughs) So, the kids around her house... Damn, the kids are telling on her. Yeah, they sure were. She probably wasn't a nice lady, okay? I swear to God, kids do that shit, though. They be telling on people. They should. They also knew that Smith had two young women and had buried a casket in the backyard in the middle of the night.
0: That's not sus at all. Not at all.
1: (laughs) It wasn't a person. It was a dog-sized casket, by the way. Evans in interviews said she was hypnotized and mesmerized by the older woman. However, Horner would go on to say she and Mrs. Smith had Mm -hmm. a mother-daughter relationship. Smith also billed Evans' father out of $17,000 for fictitious nursing care for Virginia. So that's around $254,000.
0: Um, That's a lot of fucking money. Yeah, Uh,
1: absolutely. Some more weird stuff goes on, though. She had written him that Evans was mentally ill and needed a nurse that would cost that amount. After officers inventoried the duplex, they found Smith had lived a life of luxury. She had expensive perfume, Packard car, 46 pairs of shoes, 18 pairs of gloves, 26 hats, And I quote from the police officers, enough makeup and beauty supplies to stock a drugstore. Oh my
0: God. So she was just a selfish bitch.
1: Absolutely. Meanwhile, the two young women slept in a cold basement on orange crates, dressed in threadbare clothing and were denied makeup. They were also beaten and starved. They would go off to work in their normal clothes, Mm -hmm. come back home, have to change into threadbare clothing, and then were beaten, couldn't eat anything. They said that they? they were, like, hypnotized by her.
0: Right. Like, yeah. put under a spell of well, some
1: sort. Well, I'll keep reading. Hold okay.
0: on. I just have so many fucking questions. I need to know
1: yeah. everything. And there's there's going to be more questions once I'm done. And we don't have any answers. Shit. Okay. So. <laughs> the two women are said to have been living under occult belief and or hypnotic conditions for seven years. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Seven they were, years? They were brainwashed. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Further investigating uncovered Mrs. Smith's other income came from insurance policies she took out on people, including her late husband, father, and maid, all of whom conveniently died. It's just kind of um, weird that she would take an insurance policy out on her maid.
0: thats I don't think people did that back then.
1: Like, unless they were covering for their, like, funeral care right. or...
0: I don't know. Times were so much different back then, but honestly...
1: That's sus. I'm just saying sus. that's yeah. sus. Books dealing with the means of developing willpower, magnetism, and self-mastery of fate were found in Smith's house. They also found writings by her that dealt with the means by which the human mind could be affected and about witchcraft and magic, which is what the Hexing comes from. This all comes to a head in October of 1944. I didn't realize, but I wonder if it was around Halloween. Interesting.
0: Interesting.
1: Smith was found guilty of inducing the two younger women to testify falsely against a neighbor and sentenced to a year in prison following a three-day trial. So that charge against falsely testifying against the neighbor, trigger warning for sexual assault, so if you want to go ahead and skip this part, skip ahead about a minute and a half, so that way you don't have to hear it. Okay, so um, she pled guilty in federal court to a charge of using the mail to defraud Evans' father, a wealthy Stroud merchant, and also making false claims to obtain ration books, like I said earlier. Uh, She was also placed on probation for the latter crimes, but that initial crime of falsely testifying against a neighbor, it stemmed from a municipal court case in which Evans and Horner... Testified against neighbor who lived in the adjoining duplex of the house. He was charged with assaulting Horner. Horner said she and Evans were told exactly what to say in their testimony and that they were rehearsed for hours. She finally typed up a script and memorized it, she said.
0: Damn. That was Horner. Okay, this kind of reminds me of uh, Charles Manson, like the whole Manson family. Yeah. How he kind of manipulated them into committing crimes. So in return, he didn't really commit the crimes himself. Right. But she didn't commit them. She also, like, domestic abuse, at least. I'm seeing this thing here. I don't know if it's in your notes about how she convinced her husband to kill himself in 1934. So she can get the... Is it in there? It's not, actually. Okay. It says, uh, Faye Smith, uh, as shown with his wife, Carolyn Smith, collected 31000 of his life insurance policy after he committed suicide by shooting himself in the head along Riverside Drive. So I'm assuming in the Holy same... Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, acquaintances said, and Mrs. Smith talked to her husband incessantly of suicide until he killed himself in 1934. Oh
1: my gosh. And this comes
0: from the Tulsa World Archives.
1: Oh my gosh. Sorry, so no stealing wonder. your thunder, but no, I just at, came across this and was like, holy shit. That's great, because I searched for a couple hours and I couldn't find anything else about this. So,
0: this is why she serves such little jail time, because she didn't really commit any crimes aside from perjury. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Sorry. Continue. So a month later, Smith
1: pled guilty to the federal charges of using the mail to defraud and making false statements to obtain a wartime ration book in the name of her bulldog. Bon.
0: Bon. (laughs) The dog was a bulldog. It
1: was. Poor
0: little baby. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Did the bulldog get any of the rations? Because that would be fucking That'd be crazy. Well,
1: she also, the whole reason they found them is because they found, Mm. because the kids reported that a dog was being buried in their backyard.
0: So she murdered the dog?
1: I wonder if she, like, offed her dog in order to get rid of evidence, you know? Yeah. Crazy. Very crazy. So the Hex house was demolished in 1975 and is now an empty parking lot across from Veterans Park on twenty first yes. street.
0: I don't live that far from it. We pass it quite frequently and it is scary every time you go past it because yeah. it is you have these beautiful elaborate homes and then all of a sudden you just you've got this just a parking lot, but you know exactly what it is every time you fucking drive by. And it's scary as shit. Well seriously
1: there is a rumor that a basement still exists under that paved parking lot. Mm-hmm. Uh also it is to note That I looked up the Hex House attraction that was inspired by that the house and the crimes I was talking Mm -hmm. about. They claim that to have the original house's negative energy attached to it.
0: I can believe that.
1: Claims of windshield wipers or stereos going off while the car is off Mm -hmm. are frequent if parked nearby. So electronics kind of go crazy. There's a tour guide or tour group Mm -hmm. that kinda goes around Tulsa. In an article I read that they tested the theory during a tour and claims she never wanted to test it again. She said they turned the bus off and it wouldn't start back up. It wasn't until the lady said she called Carol Ann a bad name and then apologized. As soon as she was done, the bus immediately came back on. Scary. Yeah.
0: Thank you for telling that story.
1: Do you have any other
0: stories? I do. I can't wait to hear it. So... I have a story, and this is a crime against a child. So consider this your trigger warning and fast forward some time. <laughs> <laughs> I would um, say maybe five minutes would be good. You ready? hmm On the night of July 6, 1967, sometime before 9 p.m., five-year-old Judith Ann Elwell was last seen at her home on the 11th block of North Meta in Oklahoma City. Judith was three foot and four inches tall, 40 pounds with long black curly hair with dark brown eyes at the time of her disappearance. She was last seen wearing light green shorts, a blue and white striped pullover, and blue canvas sneakers. According to the Daily Oklahoman, the search was one of the longest, most exhaustive, and including more persons than any other in several decades in Oklahoma history. The search involved more than 300 people covering over 10 square miles. The day after the search started, one of Judith's shoes was found next to the abandoned house just half a block from her own home. A short length of braided rope was found under the shoe, and no other evidence was ever recovered. Judith's brother, Mark Elwell, stated he saw a suspicious vehicle, a big black car with a man driver, near their home three weeks before Judith had gone missing. Mark saw the same vehicle at their home on the night of the disappearance. Mark stated he believed his sister's abduction was planned, which I agree with Mark. It does sound like that it was planned for sure.
1: He was stalking out the Mm -hmm. house. Yep,
0: exactly. But Mark's theory has not been substantiated. Almost one month later on August 3rd, five-year-old Brenda Lee White disappeared from St. Patrick Drive in Midwest City, which if you don't know, Midwest City is a suburb of Oklahoma City. On November 19th, Brenda's remains were located by two quail hunters, after one of the hunters stumbled across a human skull. The remains were found in a shallow grave outside an abandoned farmhouse 11 miles from Brenda's own home.
1: Oh no. Oh, that hurts. I
0: know. Brenda's homicide was never solved. It is possible that Brenda's killer is the same person who abducted Judith. Both girls were the same age and had physically resembled each other, which they had disappeared from the same area within the same time frame. The girls also had the same family background and lived in similar neighborhoods. However, they didn't know each other. But there is no hard evidence that the killer of Brenda was Judith's abductor. Sadly, both Judith's parents are now deceased, leaving her brother Mark as her only surviving relative. Judith's case file has been misplaced or was destroyed sometime after 1967
1: jesus christ
0: yes (laughs) but her case it still remains open and unsolved now what does this say to you just from that last sentence what do you think the police had involvement in it
1: exactly obviously obviously the police for sure covered it up whatever Mm -hmm. happened yeah they were either related to him or it was a policeman right fuck that They are still
0: looking for information. So if you have any information on this case, please contact the Oklahoma City Department at 405-739-1312. Stuff like this is heartbreaking and we don't know what happened. That hurts me. Girl, I know. It hurts me too. So if you're coming back onto the podcast, trigger warning is over. Um, I think that was a good five minutes. At least, yeah. I have, I just have a tiny story.
1: It's not even a tiny story. It's just a little blurb of a haunting in Oklahoma. So apparently Will Rogers High School is also haunted.
0: By so. Will Rogers himself? Or No. <laughs> Don't
1: tried, they I wish?
0: Tried. He'd be roping and riding.
1: <laughs> Flying on airplanes. Yes. The school is said to be haunted by a man in a white tuxedo and hangs around the auditorium.
0: Is it Leon Russell? No. (laughs) Because that man was all about the white tuxedo. I love Leon Russell. Dope.
1: Students say he isn't alone, and that a white figure is seen with him. People believe the man might be Dr. Carl Barnett, a band director who died of a heart attack in the auditorium in 1974, ironically, while conducting Box Come Sweet Death.
0: Okay. Wait, so how did he die?
1: Heart attack. I think. Yep, heart attack.
0: So he died in the middle of a show? Yep. Weird, um, right? Oh my gosh. Okay, well that's my story. It's a little little something. So I want to follow up your ghost story with a ghost town. I've never actually been to this town before. It's about Pitcher, Oklahoma.
1: Okay, it is one of my goals to go to Pitcher <laughs> and just see it.
0: I don't know if anyone can travel through it. And after I tell you the story, maybe you might feel differently about going. Let me get into the story. So every town has a story to tell. So here's the story of a little town called Pitcher. You got your typical abandoned schools, building structures, you know, with a kind of air of mystery to them. Mm-hmm. But what exactly happened to Pitcher, Oklahoma? Let's go back a little bit. Pitcher was a former city in Ottawa County, northeastern Oklahoma, United States. It was a major national center of lead and zinc mining for more than 100 years in the heart of the Tri-State Mining District. So it was valuable, basically.
1: Yeah, it was a shit back in the day.
0: There were decades of unrestricted subsurface excavations that were dangerously undermined and left giant piles of toxic metal contaminated mine tailings, also known as CHAT, C H A T. And it heaped throughout the areas. So it was a little Some chatty. Shit. Yeah, a little chatty. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> so there was the discovery of the cave in risks, obviously. Uh, groundwater was contaminated and health effects associated with the chat piles. There were subsurface shafts uh, that resulted in the site being included in the 1980s in the Tar Creek Superfund site by the U.S. Environmental Protective Agency. I I think, you know, people in the town did not understand that this was happening. So kids were playing in the piles, and they were putting them into their sandboxes and stuff because they just did not know the toxic risks that existed. The state collaborated on mitigation and remediation measures, but in 1994, screening results found that 34% of the children in Pitcher had suffered from lead poisoning due to these environmental effects.
1: That's so sad.
0: Lead poisoning can result in lifelong neurological problems. Yep. Eventually, the EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Agency, and the state of Oklahoma agreed to a mandatory evacuation and buyout of the entire township thank you like fuck yes that needed to happen probably many years before
1: this what what year was that this was
0: 1994 honestly not that long ago okay so in april of 2009 residents voted 55 to 6 to dissolve the pitcher cardian school district it graduated its final class of 11 in may the district's enrollment had dropped to a total of 49 students from the approximately 343 students from the years prior. So the remaining students were assigned to attend nearby schools. By June 29th of 2009, all of the residents had been given federal checks to enable them to relocate from Pitcher permanently. Good for them because the city is considered to be too toxic to be habitable. The post office was scheduled to close in July of 2009. And then on September 1st, 2009, the state of Oklahoma officially disincorporated the city of Pitcher, which ceased official operations on that date. So once they shut down the school and the post office, it had gone pretty quickly. They yeah. wanted everybody out, and they were willing to buy them out. So in a 2000 census, the town population was at 1,640. Oh my God, can you say small town? From a 2010 census, the population went down to a staggering 20 people. 20 population. Good for them. Good Get for them. Out of there, yeah, right? A year after they disincorporated the city of Pitcher, so we've got November of 2010, it was reported that Pitcher still had one business and six occupied houses. Their owners have refused to leave at any price. Except for some historical structures, the rest of the town, the buildings, were scheduled to be demolished by the end of that year. Gary Linderman, owner of the Old Miner's Pharmacy, said he would stay until the last resident left. The municipality of Pitcher was officially dissolved in November 26, 2013. So at that point, no one should have been in the town. Yeah, I mean, at all. So the following year, March 2014, standing abandoned buildings included the Pitcher Carden High School, a church, and the mining museum, and a handful of mercantile buildings, as well as numerous abandoned houses. So one of the last vacant buildings which had housed the former Pitcher Mining Museum was destroyed by arson in April of 2015. So that's uh, another year had passed. Well, two years had passed since they dissolved the municipality. So they were down. Yeah. Also, in 2015, some of the former residents decided they were going to put on a Christmas parade. Uh-oh. And they were just going to do that. So in 2015, they had a coming home for Christmas parade. I personally am so paranoid, I don't think I would go back. I, yeah. I think I would just cut I'm sure my losses. i dust
1: and stuff probably yeah. would too. Oh, yeah. Um, but as long as they, I mean, they mm. ones wearing masks mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, never mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so on the very last day... They all met in the school auditorium, and then they said their goodbyes. Here's something strange. The story doesn't end there. Police investigating Welch, Oklahoma murders of Danny and Kathy Freeman and the murders of Lori Bible and Ashley Freeman had filed charges containing statements from numerous witnesses and alleged accomplices who stated they had heard rumors that Lori Bible and Ashley Freeman were in a pit in a shaft in Pitcher, Oklahoma. Witnesses were also threatened by Warren Philip Welsh, who had been the lead suspect in the crime who told these people that they might end up in the well, like the girls in picture.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Their bodies have never been found, though suspected accomplice Ronnie Dean Busick was arrested in April of 2018 for his involvement in the crime.
1: Oh, shit.
0: Uh, Busick pleaded guilty July 15th, 2020, to being an accessory to first degree murder in the deaths of Danny and Kathy Freeman, and that he had been a part of torching their home in Welsh, Oklahoma. And then that's where they abducted and presumed Slade girls were. They had burnt the house down and taken the girls and killed them. He admitted withholding information about the involvement of Warren Philip Welsh and David Pennington, both of whom have died since without ever being charged. He was sentenced to 15 years for the crime, with 10 of those years uh, spent locked up. So earlier, whenever you asked me if there were ghosts in the town, I was like, well, it's not exactly spooky, but it is kind of scary because they believe that be. these girls are in the town in yeah. a, a mine shaft." I know that there's so much content out there about Oklahoma yeah. and the ghost stories and the tragedies and crime and weird things that have happened in this state. And if you are a fellow Oklahoman or Tulson and you have stories, please let us know and then we'll tell them.
1: Yeah, we would be very happy to hear it. Yeah. Whatever Let's you talk have. about
0: it. Tell everyone yeah. we know. <laughs> thank yeah. you guys for listening. Uh this is a little piece of our
1: uh a little piece of our
0: home. Little piece of our home.
1: In weird ways,
0: <laughs> every state has its uh baggage. Yep. We absolutely. definitely have ours. Uh We sure thank- do. <laughs> we appreciate you guys coming back every week. Um we we really love doing this and we want to do it forever. Yeah, truthfully, yes. But we appreciate,
1: appreciate, <laughs> we appreciate every
0: listen that we have. Uh, we care about you, and we'll see you next time. The music in this podcast is by the band The Daddios. This is Kelly, and I'm Marlo, and you're listening to Crazy Hexy Ghoul. We'll see you next time. Is this it? Is this the end? Bye.